We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to our January breakfast with Pastor Whit George. Let's tune in and listen to his message to the Brotherhood. Hey guys, good morning. I know it's early. Hey. Speaking of real, that uh, pickleball and basketball league looks like a good trip to the hospital. I was intrigued for a moment and then I realized I want to walk for 2022. So... <laughs> Hey, before we jump in, um, I, uh, there's something I need to ask for prayer for, and, and this, is, this is real. Um, some of you may have heard, just before Christmas, both my parents contracted COVID. Um, my dad was actually not feeling well for Christmas Eve, uh, the services. We just kind of isolated him and let him do his thing, and everybody stayed far away from him while he did that. We didn't know exactly what was going on. He just knew he had a cold. Uh, and our plan was to spend Christmas Day together, but he wasn't feeling well. In fact, we kind of determined we weren't going to do that, um, gather our whole family together on Christmas Day. And so we just said, hey, we'll wait a week, and you know, we'll do it New Year's Day. But that week came and went, and they weren't feeling any better. It, it, it was kind of hard to tell. My parents are really self-sufficient. If you don't know my family well, um, my uncle, the other night I was talking to him about it, and he goes, yeah, that's just kind of our family. We just kind of expect that you'll handle your own business, and if one day we show up to your house and you're dead, we'll know it didn't work out so well. <laughs> that's, that's our family culture. So, you know, we're texting my parents, hey, how you guys doing? And I'm getting, a, you know, I'm texting my mom because I'm not going to mess with my dad during all this. And she's, oh, yeah, we're doing okay. Dad's doing, you know, okay and whatever. And so we, we just keep hearing that. Finally, we were just like, look, we've got we to gotta go check on them. So Tuesday, uh, I went over with my sister to check on my parents. And uh, this thing has hit them pretty hard, particularly my dad. And uh, in the last couple of days, uh, by God's grace and, and giving glory to God, my mom has really turned a corner and is doing very well, and I'm very glad for that. But my dad is still in the middle of it. We're, we're at home, they're getting excellent care. I know whenever, and I can't tell you, I mean, every person that knows about this, everybody's got their remedy. Oh, well, have you done this? Or have you tried this? Or have you gone here? And I'm sure that in a room of, I don't know how many hundred guys are in here, there's that many hundred different, hey, you should try this. Thank you. They're getting great care. I can assure you that. But um, they need prayer, especially my dad. I'm going to ask for prayer. Nobody's on death's doorstep, but it's hitting them hard. And if you've been down, and many of you, you know, I, I know just about all of us probably have had either you've been through this, someone you love has been through this, it's knocked them on their butt for a while. And it's a little weird to see someone that's so strong, so weak. And um, so here's what I'm going to ask you to pray for. I'm going to ask you to pray, one, this is two things. Uh, my dad's, the biggest struggle is the breathing. If you've been through this and that's hit you that way, it can be hard to breathe. That's what he needs. We want to pray that he breathes well, that his lungs function the way that they're supposed to. Number two, I want to pray that he rests. He's been having trouble sleeping and he just can't get to sleep. And uh, rest and, and, and nutrition, th those are 
key things to recovery. And so uh, I'll talk to the church about it this weekend, but, um, but I wanted to share it with you and just ask for your prayers uh, because uh, he could use them, and I know he would really appreciate them. He doesn't want to hear from a whole lot of people. Uh, that's just, again, the way that they are. He's, he's pretty private about that. They were cool with me telling everybody, because I know that and knew that so many of you, you love and care for my parents. Uh, my dad has been, for many of you, a spiritual father in your own life, and so you care for them deeply, and you'll want to pray. I wanted to give you the opportunity to do that, um, um, but at the same time, trying to maintain their, their privacy and deal with this as a, as a family. And so just full disclosure, every day this week so far, uh, starting Tuesday, I've been over at their house just for hours, just hanging out, spending time with them, doing whatever it is that I can do. So the second thing I need to ask for this morning is your forgiveness, um, because I'm just going to kind of speak from my heart this morning. Normally, I would try to prepare something, and I have. Uh, I believe God spoke to me about some stuff before all of this really hit, um, but, but I haven't had the time to kind of sit down and work through it the way that I normally would. So if it comes out jumbled, you'll know why. And, uh, but otherwise, I actually think, I, I actually think it's going to go really well, and I think God's got some stuff for us this morning as we, as we lean into 2022. So why don't we do this? Why don't we pray? And, uh, and then we'll jump in and, and get started, all right? Let's do it. Heavenly Father, thank you. You're a good, gracious, heavenly Father. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, Lord, we come together as a group of men and believers, brothers in Christ, along with my dad, who is also our brother in Christ, and we lift him up to you this morning in Jesus' name. Father, we pray for his recovery as we already have done. I know I have already done. Many of them maybe have not, but Lord, I have already done. But we agree together in prayer this morning for his recovery. We speak life to his body, healing to his lungs, recovery to his immune system. May it be strengthened, Lord. I pray for rest today. I pray for, uh, Lord, strength in his body so that he could get back to being the man, the father that he is to so many. We praise you for your healing power. We ask you for it in Jesus' name, knowing that you took stripes on your back so that we could be healed. And so we ask you for healing in Jesus' name for my dad. Now, Lord, I pray that today you would give me clarity of mind and heart to speak what it is, the things that you put on my heart to say for these men. I pray that their ears be open to hear from you today in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. So when I started thinking about this, the, the kind of concept or, that came to my mind about what I wanted to share with you were some things that I, I wanted you to know this year. And so I've just titled this three things that I, I think every guy needs to know. And uh, of course, whenever you hit you know, a new year, everybody brings out their New Year's messages. What, what ground are you going to take in this new year? Th this message would apply to any time of your life, and it really would apply to anyone, because I think these are three things anybody ought to know about following Christ and really what it is to be a human being and how it is to function as a person made in the image and likeness of God uh, who's trying to serve and follow God. And there's lots to that, but these are three, I think, essential things that if you knew them and if you really grasped them, there's a lot of things we know up here. But how many of you know there are things we can know here that we don't really believe here? This is always the problem. We know it here, we don't believe it here. 
These are three things that if you can move from here to here, because none of what I'm going to tell you today is going to be like, uh, oh my gosh, I've never heard that before. I've never even thought about that before. I've never heard that in church before. These are going to be things that you've heard before. The problem is, do you really believe them? Can you really get them into your heart? And when you really believe them and receive them, that's when they start to make a real difference. Three things. The first I'll jump right in is this. I wish every one of you this year would know that you're loved. This has been a theme I've been hitting on a lot lately, and I really feel like it's just from the Holy Spirit. I need to talk about this a lot. You are loved. You need to be loved. There's a I don't know, kind of the, 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 the concept of masculinity in our culture is that we go it alone, and I'll talk more about that later as I get into some of the other points, but that we're self-sufficient creatures if we're doing it right, that we handle our own business, that sure, when you're a little boy, you need love, but as you grow up, you don't need it anymore, you're a man now, and you don't need any of the, that kind of affirmation that you needed when you were a kid. I say that's hogwash, not true. You need affirmation, you need love. This week, in fact, on Tuesday, when I went over to my parents' house, I initially saw my mom. She was in her little TV room there laying on the couch and went over and just loved on her for a a few minutes. My dad was resting and uh, we didn't want to bother him. When I saw my dad, it was just amazing. I mean, you're walking with him to the bathroom and just all, because when you can't breathe well, um, it, it, you, know, you know what that feels like. If you've ever been to elevation, like extreme elevation, it just zaps your energy. So later on that day, I'm just sitting with him and I, it just dawned on me, here's this guy who has been so self-sufficient my entire life, been the, the, the pinnacle, in my view, of strength. And here he is needing help to get back and forth from the bathroom just because of what this virus is doing. And He's sitting there, and he says to us, my sister Charity and I, who are sitting there, he says, man, I can't tell you what good it does me to have you here. And then Charity left the room, and my mom left the room, and me and my dad, I'm just sitting in a chair kind of uh, across from him, and he just looks at me, and he just says, Whit, I'm proud of you. He said, you're doing a good job. I got to tell you, it broke me instantly. 45 years old, you'd think I didn't need to hear that anymore. I do. He said, you're doing a good job. He said, the way you're leading the church, the way you're pastoring the church, he goes, what you're doing, I'm proud of you. I'm just weeping there, trying to kind of hold it together, and I just sat there for a second and just told him how much that meant to me, and then I, I, I just reached out, and I put my hand on his leg, and I said, Dad, I'm proud of you. I'm proud that you're my dad. You did a good job, dad. Tears start coming out of his eyes. He says, thank you, Whit. I said, dad, you built a great church. You led well. You led with integrity for a long time. Not many can say that. Dad, I'm proud of you. He just kept saying, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Here he is, 69 years old, still needing affirmation. Men, You need to be loved. You were made for it. John Eldridge writes and he says that every woman is asking the question, am I beautiful? What really he's getting at is they want to know and women want to know, am I treasured? Am I valuable? Every woman wants to know that. 
He said, every man is asking this question. Do I have what it takes? And we go through our lives looking for proof of that. Do I have what it takes? Hopefully we receive it from a father. Hopefully we have a dad who recognizes that and pours into us that. I was so grateful for Michael Replogle's story at Christmas. For those of you who are Church on the Move men and you were at our Christmas services, you heard Michael's story, powerful story of rejection by an earthly father, but receiving affirmation from a heavenly father. And it took Michael years into his life. In fact, he went searching for affirmation. And this is what we do. See, because we think, oh, well, that's important when I'm younger. It won't matter so much when I'm older. Not true. You need to be loved. And if you don't find it where in your home, if you don't find it from your dad, if you don't find it from the people who are supposed to love you, you'll go looking for it in all manner of other things. Some of the most successful men I've ever seen were men who were deeply insecure. Not out of strength were they building great businesses and empires, but out of a weakness and rejection because they never found and got the love that they so desperately desired from a father. They go looking for it by proving it in a business, proving it with women, proving it in every which way, trying to prove not only to their fathers, to the world around them, but to themselves that they are indeed valuable. After I preached this at the church a few weeks ago, I had, I should have brought this. If I'd been a little bit more together this week, I would have had this prepared as a slide. Somebody, a friend of mine sent me a, a text saying, yeah, this, your, your message made me think of this. It was a picture of a boat, a big boat. And the, the name of the boat, you know, they have them named on the side. It said, who's the loser now, dad? <laughs> right? We want affirmation it's what I love about Michael's story. See, because some of you, you don't have a dad like mine. You never did. Your dad wasn't there. Maybe he, maybe he passed away early. Maybe he just wasn't much interested in being your dad. Maybe he just wasn't the best dad. Maybe he struggled to speak the things over you that you desperately needed and wanted to hear. Maybe you'd give anything to hear your dad say to you what my dad has said to me. I can recognize that. I can recognize that there's probably a lot of us in this room because a lot of us, I, I hear the stories. In fact, I have to tell you that it's probably more common than not that this is the case. We're dealing with these kind of father wounds. What I love about Michael's story is this, is that he eventually realized, I'm never gonna get that from my earthly father. The only place I can get it, and really the place, men, you were made to receive it from is your heavenly father. See, Jesus said this. He said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, he's going, look, even the best of you, guys, even the best of you, your goodness looks like evil in comparison to our heavenly father. I don't care how good your dad is. My dad, wonderful though he is, he still has his shortcomings. I've lived with those shortcomings. I'm not here to talk about those or highlight those. I love my dad dearly. But he's got shortcomings. They're things that frustrate me, things that have hurt me down through the years. That's just the nature of being in relationship with people. Can I tell you, even if you are around perfect people, I want you to think about this. Peter had a perfect leader, yet he still denied Christ. He still thought, after Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, he still said, 
uh, uh, when Jesus said, I'm going to go to the cross, Peter still said, not necessary. Do you remember? And it's right after Peter has just seen Jesus like glowing like the sun with Moses and Elijah. He sees this. And then just shortly after that, Jesus says, now I'm going to go to the cross. And Peter says, not necessary. And it's just like verses after in Matthew, wherever it is in Matthew, I believe. I, I don't know the chapter. I'm terrible with chapter and verse. But right after that, um, Jesus has to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, the things of man, what you're thinking about. In other words, no matter how perfect your leader is, no matter how perfect your dad is, there's still things that because of the corruption of the human heart, we still feel pain. We still feel like we've been let down. We still feel like we know better. And so there's always going to be inadequacies there. The only way to get past that is to go directly to God and let him speak to you in the way that he needs to speak to you. He, and only he, can say some of the things to you that you desperately need to hear. And so if you're gonna love this year, here's what I can tell you. If you're gonna love other people, you won't be able to love well unless you're loved well yourself. Love flows like a fountain out of you when you're loved well. The reason that we don't love other people well is because we have a love deficiency ourselves. We struggle to believe that we're enough, that we have what it takes, that we are loved. Therefore, we don't love others well. Can I just speak to the men of Church on the Move? I know we have a lot of guys from different places in here in different churches, and I'm glad that you're here this morning. But for those of you who are at Church on the Move this weekend, I'm going to be talking about some things, and we'll be introducing some stuff, uh, ways to get connected to God this year. This is why scripture reading is so important, because when I read scripture, I get to hear what God wants to say to me. One of the primary ways, in fact, I would say the primary ways to hear God's voice is to read what God's already said. And when I spend time there, this is why distraction, this is why your phone, this is why all the emails and the relentless pursuit of all the more that we're looking for is an enemy to our souls. It's crazy, but what we're doing is we're working so much, we're cutting out the very thing that makes us most productive and makes us most human, which is to be loved by God. And if you're not taking the time to do that, I gotta encourage you this year, you need to find a way to make that happen. How do I do that, Whit? Well, man, if you're at Church on the Move, I would encourage you to sit down with a pastor, a small group leader, a man that you trust. If you're in this room, there ought to be somebody at your table that you look up to spiritually. You could say, hey, I know if I went and talked to them, there'd be an answer there. This is what I know in my life. Whenever I find myself at a place where I go, I don't know what to do next, God always puts someone in front of me, a small step in front of me that's like, look, if I just have a conversation with them, I know that'll lead me where it is that I need to go. Start there. What does the Holy Spirit put in front of you? But you need this. You need to know and believe here, not just here. You are loved and affirmed. Number two is this. The second thing I hope that you know this year is that you're called. Paul said this in Ephesians chapter four. He says, I therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner Worthy of the calling that you have received when you were called. Men, you are called. You have a calling from God. One of the things I think is most detrimental to, how would I say this, the culture of the American church, let's just call it that for now, is the notion that there are professional ministers and then there's the lay people, the laity. I think it was Karl Barth, 
crazy Swiss theologian, and you don't want to read him. I, I had to read him for school, and it was not fun. But he talked about the worst thing, I think, that has happened in the church is the, the designation of the laity. In other words, that there are lay people within the church. There are no lay people within the church. We are all ministers. I need you to believe that about yourself this year. One of the great lies of the enemy is that you're not qualified to do ministry, that you need to show up and receive ministry, that you have no business ministering to anyone else. Nothing could be further from the truth. You have a calling. You have a purpose in your life. Your, your, your role on this planet is to do more than just earn money and take up space until you die and go to heaven. God has a mission, an assignment for you. In Genesis chapter one, we get what is called the cultural mandate. Other people have called it the, the missio dei, the mission of God. It, it's in Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28. These are the first words that God speaks to mankind. And if you've read Genesis at all, you may know these words. God speaks to them and says, be fruitful and multiply. And then he says, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over creation. And then he goes on to list all the different kind of categories of creation that were just named in the first part of Genesis 1. There's a lot in that. We kind of read over that and think, you know, strange words and doesn't exactly make a ton of sense to us. But there's a lot in that. What I would tell you this simply is that God's desire in Genesis 1 has not changed. Scripture says, I am the Lord. God says about himself, I change not. God's desire for mankind is no different than it was in the very beginning. His desire for the way that we interact with the earth and the way that we interact with our fellow man is no different than it was in the beginning. God wants us to subdue, bring order, I might say, and multiply. Let's talk about what those two things mean because I want to give you a, kind of a, maybe a new category for what ministry means. First of all, ministry means bringing order wherever you are. One of man's roles, one of man's chief roles, God created Eden. And what God wanted was for man to extend what God had begun. God filled the earth with raw resources, everything. You know, it's amazing when I think about this. All that mankind has done in the last thousands of years that we've been here, and all that mankind has done, do you realize from the space shuttles to computer, you know, the, 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 the microchips and, and, and the technology and everything that we use to do all the amazing, you know, advancements that we've, that we've made, all of it, everything was in the earth at the time that it was made. There's nothing that we're making anything from, nothing. Nothing has been made that wasn't here, that the raw resources to create did not exist whenever the planet was made. So what God is saying is, I want you to extract from my creation. I want you to take from this and I want you to extend this. I want you to, I want you to bring order to creation. That's still the call today. Your job is to bring order. Let me, let me say it another way. Work came before the fall. In other words, before sin came into the world, God established work. Meaning work has dignity and value wherever you work. If you're bringing order, if you're, if you're making life better for people, what does that look like? You could be a road builder. You might be a house framer, an accountant, a medical professional, a firefighter, police officer. 
These are ways that order is brought to our world that keep us from chaos, that make life better for the people around us. That's ministry. Do you realize that? That's ministry. It means that your job, uh, whatever it is that you do, if you work in the telecommunications, if you work in uh, laying fiber or whatever, if, you, if you're a plumber, all of the, like, these are things that bless people, that make the world that we live in a better place. And God says that has value. That's something I care personally about. So wherever you find yourself investing, I want you to stop thinking about that job as just a way of earning money. And I want you to think about it as a ministry, as a way of blessing the people around you and giving glory and honor to God. Scripture says that whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Paul would write in Colossians 3, and he would say, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Meaning we're doing it as a sacrifice, as an act of worship to our God. We're bringing order. That means that ministry happens wherever it is that you're going. So for so many of us, and this is the way that we think, we think that, well, I'm only doing ministry when I show up and serve at the, ch- at the church. Not true. You're ministering wherever you find yourself. There's the possibility for ministry there because you're bringing order. Are you an accountant? Do you work with finance? Do you, do you serve the poor of your community? What is it that you do? These are things that bring order and bless the community. They lead to human flourishing, which is the first part that God says, multiply. So there's the part of it where we're bringing order out of chaos. The other part of it is that we're multiplying. And what that means is that that leads to the, the things that we do lead to the benefit and blessing of people. And this is what it means to really live out your calling, is that I see what I do every day as a ministry, but I also think of that as a ministry, not just to bringing order to the world and blessing the community at large, but also blessing the people that I interact with. In the Old Testament, there's a, an interesting law that God gives his people when he's talking about harvesting their fields. He says, I don't want you to, to harvest the fields all the way to the edges, I want you to leave some on the edges for the poor. You're not, you're not gonna maximize your ground. You're gonna actually leave some left over. You're just gonna leave it out there. And they're gonna come and they're gonna take that and that's what they're gonna live off of. What this means is that as we're bringing order, it means that we can't let our drive for efficiency, we can't let our drive to make the most of every deal We can't let our drive to build our businesses come at the expense of the people that we're doing business with. It means that while we are capitalists, we can't be extreme capitalists where we're trying to squeeze every penny out of every dollar. It means that sometimes in order to bless people, you're going to leave money on the table to do right by the person that you're in business with. It means sometimes that you're gonna take a lesser deal. Sometimes you're gonna take lesser pay. Sometimes you're going to make decisions that won't lead to your personal benefit, but they'll lead to the benefit of the people around you because this is what it is to be in ministry. When I'm in ministry, and this is what it is to work at a church, I don't get to think about how do I maximize everything for my own personal benefit. I don't think like that. I think about how do we use the resources that we have to bless people. And I gotta tell you, you can do that in the job that you have. 
It's amazing. You can use what resources you have. You may not have control over the company finances, but you got control over your time. You got control over the way that you interact with people. You can approach your work like a ministry. Two examples I'll give you of guys in our church that I think do this beautifully. One is Josh Keltner. I know many of you will know Josh. Josh has been through a lot in his life financially, and Josh has a knack for turning deals and making money. But here's what he loves about it and what I love about Josh is he doesn't just look at that for ways to make himself money. He's looking for ways to teach other people how to do the things that he's done so that other people can be blessed in the ways that he has been blessed. He's constantly giving things away, constantly looking for people to sow into, pour into. He sees his life as a ministry. I'll give you another one, and many of you know him. Brandon Murphy is this way. If you've ever had any dealings with Nelson Auto Group, you know exactly the way that they do business. They think about themselves as a ministry, not just to their employees, but to the people that they interact with. They model that field gleaning thing to a, to, to, in a beautiful way. They say they, they're, they're very upfront about how they do business and they want to take care of you in the same way that they want to be taken care of. They're honorable in that way. Men, that's what it is to do ministry wherever it is that you find yourself. You have a purpose, you have a calling. And I want, I want you to stop seeing it as I have my Monday through Friday life and then I have my weekend serve time at church. I hope you do serve at the church that you're part of. You should, but your ministry doesn't start or stop there. In fact, and here's how it ought to work. You ought to think of it like this. When you leave the doors of your church, you ought to be saying to yourself, now my ministry begins. Because when you step out of the church, that's really when you're stepping out into the mission field. Where where has God placed you? Who has he put you around? That's where your ministry is. You are called and you have a ministry whether you realize it or not. How can God use you? Being good at what you do is one way God uses you. Loving the people that you're around and that you do business with is another way that God uses you. Number three is this. You are needy and you are needed. Now, I I know how that sounds just to our American male ears. None of us want to be needy. In fact, needy is a a bad term in our world. Oh, they're so needy. No one one has ever said they're so needy as a compliment. And the images that we have, as I said earlier, of masculinity are of Batman, John Wayne, the Lone Ranger, these men who didn't need anyone else who were able to handle their own business. It's an American myth. You were made as a dependent creature. You need other people. That's why the name of this ministry is Brotherhood, because you need other men in your life. Can I tell you, you will not gain the ground that you need to gain with God this year on your own. Yeah, there's personal responsibility. Yeah, what you do by yourself matters. Oh, of course it does. But one of the primary vehicles that God uses to develop you and increase you and grow you and change you is through the local church. I I heard a young lady, I was standing out in the lobby just a few weeks ago at one of our Christmas services, and she was talking about her mom who used to attend our church. And she still comes. This is, I don't know, early 20s, I would expect this young lady was. And she, uh, she, I asked her, you know, how did you come to church? Well, we, we always went here. My mom went here. I said, oh, oh, you know, what service does your mom go to? Ah, eh, she doesn't come anymore. She said, I talked to her about it. I said, mom, you should come to church. And she said, honey, I have Jesus in my heart. 
And I've thought about that. Here's what I would say to, to, to those of you who may think that way. And I, I get why you might think that way. The church hasn't done the best job of helping you understand why it's necessary, what it is. If the church is nothing more than a, a, a show that you attend every weekend, that has a spiritual theme to it, then yeah, you can kind of take it or leave it. But the church is not a show. It's not a, a place where you come and you obtain spiritual goods and services. It's a family that you belong to. And if you see it as nothing more than, you know, I've got Jesus in my heart and the church, I can kind of take it or leave it. Let me tell you this. You're going to have to have a talk with Jesus because he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. I, I guess I would encourage you, and I, I'm being sincere, have a conversation with him. Sit down and talk to him and say, why did you start this whole thing? Because I don't find it to be all that useful. See, God puts us in community. When he saves you from your sins, he also saves you into a family. These two things are not separated. You enter the body of Christ on the day of your salvation. You enter the family of God on the day of your salvation. We live in a culture that wants to glorify going it alone, being strong and pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. These are our cultural heroes. This is one area where you're going to have to swim against the grain of American culture or the tide or the, the flow, whatever it is that you wanna, yeah, what's, what's the word? Current, there it is. The current of American culture, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, is that you belong to a family. It means that you're gonna have to show up in vulnerability and weakness, and that's uncomfortable for us, especially men, to do. For me to sit here this morning and talk to you about my dad and ask for prayer, that's not something I necessarily wanna do. To tell you that I had a porn problem, I don't know how many of you were at the service that I did uh, early last year. In fact, it would have been almost a year ago where the opening words of my sermon were, I discovered pornography and masturbation when I was 12 years old. Shocked everybody in the room. I wasn't trying to shock everyone. I was trying to be real about my story. Why do I do that? I, I, I do that because I'm trying to model for you the kind of vulnerability that God can use. Because when you get real about what's going on in here, God can get real about changing you. So many of us are playing a game and we're trying to put forward an image that looks just good enough that people think they're not falling apart at the seams, but while we're still working at stuff behind the scenes, when we'd be far better off taking the mask off and going, this is my junk, this is what I'm doing. You don't have to do that with everybody. You don't have to get up on a stage like I have done and say, hey, here's the things. I do that so that you can model that in community. And that's why we have this brotherhood. We need one another. I was telling you this week about going over and visiting with my dad and trying to help my mom and dad out and just in their moment of need. And I found myself, I don't know, day before yesterday, my dad had taken a shower and he'd gotten dressed, but he was coming down to sit down just to kind of catch his breath. And he wanted his socks, he, he, I knew he wanted to put his socks on, so I grabbed his socks and I knelt down. And I put my, so I put my dad's socks on his feet. And as I was doing it, I was thinking about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, and I thought there may be no better way that I can love my dad than to put socks on his feet. Men... 
We all have times in our lives where we need somebody to put the socks on our feet. We can't do it for ourselves. We can't always be the hero. You don't always get to be strong. I, I, I get it. You got a family that needs you to be strong. I understand that. You don't need to go home and break down in front of your wife and kids constantly. I get that. That's why we have brotherhood. You are needy and you are needed. Look around. There's a group of men in here and they need you. That may shock you to think that. You may think that nobody could benefit and learn from you. Oh, sure, they get some from the pastors. Sure, Lee, Johnny, all the different guys. Oh, there's amazing guys around here. Yeah, they, they're, they're learning something from them, but not from me. Not true. God can and will and does use you, and he wants to. So I wanna challenge you to lean into this community this year. Johnny's asking you to serve, start there. We need you. We need you. We need your gifts, we need your perspective, we need your hands, we need your feet. We need you. Your brothers need you. If we're gonna be a strong group of men leading a strong church, this is where it begins, right here in this room. We, the men, stepping up, leaning in, jumping on board and saying, I'm here, I'm willing to help, however. And here's what I find is as we show up and go, where do you need me? Your needs get met. It's amazing how that works. When you step up and say, God, use me, God starts working in and meeting your needs. And so that's what I pray for this year. I pray that you're loved. I pray that you understand that you're called. And I pray that you see how you're needed and needy. You are needed and you have needs. And God wants to meet them in his church, in his community. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for this group of men. Thank you for what they represent, who they are, what they can do, the calling that you have on them. Father, I pray that this year would be their best year yet because it will be their best year spiritually. Help us at Church on the Move, Father, to invite them into spiritual community in ways that will be meaningful, challenge them, grow them this year so they can be better husbands, fathers, leaders, business owners, and employees, Father. I pray that in Jesus' name. Thank you for it. Everybody said, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you. <laughs>